Join us for this episode of Nature Centered, a podcast from Wild Birds Unlimited about feeding the birds and enjoying nature right in your own backyard. Here are your hosts, naturalist John Schaust and Brian Cunningham. Hi, everybody. I'm John Schaust. And I am Brian Cunningham. And welcome to episode number 57. And today, we're going to be talking about the world's smartest bird. Are they smarter than us? (laughs) Probably. (laughs) Well, this could be fun. You know, talking, yeah, question mark, world's smartest birds? Hmm. Yeah. Now, just to give you a hint on what we're talking about, uh, we're talking about some of the corvids, not to be confused with covid Nasty oh, you little. Went there. You went there. Didn't I did you? there. No viruses today. It's all about the birds. But some really cool things we're going to talk about that intelligence and do they really play? But did you know there are some folks, their life's work is studying them, but there's also someone, their entire job is to take care of one little family group of ravens. But why? Yes, sir. Crows and ravens, some of our favorite birds. Oh, fascinating, fascinating. So stick around for the fun and learning. Okay, Brian. Hey, dude. It's summer. We're in the throes of summer and lots and lots of things happen in my yard. How about yours? Yeah, I got some some fresh, fun, new things. I mean, so paying a little more attention and keeping my feeders up, keeping them fresh. And I did. I said, you know, the Orioles skipped us this year. Uh, But no, I had mom Oriole come into my grape jelly and now I know who's been eating it. Well, there you go. I'm excited. I don't know where they're nesting and they're not talking in the yard, but she's here. That means they have been raising a family somewhere nearby and she's coming. So I'm just super stoked that I got to see her. Um, yeah, that was really cool. Orioles are always a red letter bird at your feeder. I mean, uh, yes. it's bluebirds and Orioles to me are among my absolute favorites to see come back every year. And you know, yep. my bluebirds are pretty much year round mm-hmm. anymore, but uh, the Orioles boy just adds <laughs> so much fun to the summertime. You know, I talked about uh, my bluebirds have fledged and they're bounced around. Uh, they're following dad. And I've got three of them. They're coming very regularly to the feeders. Um, and, yeah, some people have asked, what are you feeding them? Uh, basically, it's uh, I'm doing uh, the Gems Bredaceous Bugs and Bits, which is bark butter bits and dried mealworms. And they're loving yeah, it. They, oh, my goodness. Yeah. They love yeah. it right now. And yeah. they come in every morning, eat some, take off. They come back late, yeah, kind of early afternoon, eat some more. Uh, it's just... It's so much fun to see the family and and know, man, I get to help a bird family get raised in my yard. Just so really yeah. exciting. Yeah, the bark butter bits and the uh, dried mealworms, live mealworms, I think right now are the perfect thing to put out there if you want to see a lot of activity at your feeders. And and I'm habitual. I love bark butter Mm -hmm. bits. And and I'm literally sitting here watching a red-bellied woodpecker pull bark (laughs) butter bits out of my feeder right now. But everything from catbirds to... to, I've had pileate. It's, you know, hang on the side of the feeder and... And get bark butter bits out Highly of it. Highly is and, the big and, uh, the big woodpecker getting yeah, little tiny yeah, sewer big, balls. Huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> that's yeah. fun. So absolutely, just an awesome, awesome food, especially this time of the year. And then the mealworms, of course, mm-hmm. with all the youngsters and the, 
the adults taking some food back to the uh, to the nestlings and that type yep. of thing or feeding the I got a ton of house finches running around here, uh, juvenile house finches. Ooh. So that's cool. But you know what's what? I've been doing a lot of yard work over the last couple of weeks, and, and it really struck me because you know that's I love it. I'm outside. I'm and you know we talked about bird song and listening to you know identifying birds by their call and mm -hmm. songs in our last episodes. Yeah. And, and it does. It adds that extra dimension. Yes. And our producer, Evan, had made that comment. And I thought that was just a brilliant comment because it actually makes your experience outside more three-dimensional. And because you're hearing, not just focusing on what's in front of you or beside you, but you're hearing things above you that you would have never perceived or thought about. So I'm out there working, you know, uh, planting flowers and doing various other things. And so it's just a wonderful time just to listen, mm -hmm. you know, because I'm not focusing on looking at the birds. I'm focusing on planting flowers. Right. And and it just dawned on me. I've got prothonotary warbler calling. Nice. I have common yellow throats. I have the yellow throated warbler calling, mm -hmm. and I have the uh, perula, northern perula oh. warbler uh, calling. I've got four warblers. How fun is that? That you have all yeah. those warblers just chattering away. Yeah, yeah, and you know the the bottom line on the prothonotary uh, loves the grape jelly that's out for the Orioles, and so I see the prothonotary mm -hmm. coming in on a pretty regular basis. My yellow-throated warbler, who loved bark butter and bark butter bits, has not come to the feeders a whole lot lately, mm. so I probably wouldn't know it was around, except the fact that I'm hearing, yeah. again, I'm do, hearing do, its, do, its song. Do, 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 do. Yeah. And the common, yeah. yeah, the common yellow throat is not really a feeder bird, so right. I'm, I'm just hearing it come from down by the creek. And then the uh, the perula is not really a feeder bird. It, I think we've had some mm -hmm. come to bark butter at some point. Yeah, but, every once in a while they'll hit but, bark butter, uh, especially in spring migration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I probably three of those four warblers, I probably wouldn't know that were around my yard, except oh, I'm hearing there, it. That's very cool. And that that, that yeah. And I don't, I don't remember having four at one time in the past. This is, this is fun. That's I, cool. I'm really enjoying it. Yeah. Yeah. The more you start to learn, the more you realize, oh, I, I got, I got to, the, the birding ear is always turned on. Whether you know what's calling or not, you start hearing yeah. it and you're like, yeah. ah, I got, I got yeah. to figure that out. Yeah. Adds that extra <laughs> dimension to mm -hmm. your experiences outdoors, no matter where you're at. Yeah. So that's very cool. Well, that was our last show. People, if you haven't that's listened right. to it, go back and listen to it. It really was a great show and I think you'd really enjoy it. Today, though, Ooh. we're going to try to talk about the world's smartest bird. Yeah. Really? What? <laughs> Says who? Says who? Corvids, with the R, jays, crows, ravens, magpies, nutcrackers, they're all in that family group. But today, we, we just want to focus in on the crows and yeah. the ravens. There's so much you can talk about just them. Well, one of the cool things about the crow and raven species, you know, we have the couple of, actually a couple of different raven species in, in North America. Mm -hmm. and we have a couple of different crow species in North America. But we'll probably really focus on common raven and, and mostly the common crow. Maybe toss. Yeah, American crow and uh, yeah. fish crow. Yeah, that's Thank you. Yeah. The fact that they're pretty widespread, you know, more widespread than the other ones. Our fish crow, we'll talk a little bit about just because it's such a fun mm -hmm. bird and kind of neat things. But but the thing about all of these birds is they're just renowned for being so smart. You know, like, you know, they, they've been known to uh, solve problems. Mm -hmm. They Ravens have been known to uh, remember things for 
years, different things that have happened to them and, and pros that have had that same experience, mm-hmm. uh, making tools, all kinds of stuff. So, you know, the bottom line is that's why we kind of say, are these the world's smartest birds? And they're in the running for sure. Now, some people would probably say, no, parrots, uh, which, you know, okay, I get that. But we're going to concentrate on the crows and ravens. Today. Yeah, let's do it. You know, a, a group of crows is called a murder. So what do you call when you have two crows get together? Uh, Brian, I don't know. What do you call An them? attempted murder. <laughs> <laughs> now, they can mimic things, and other birds mimic things really well, too. You, you mentioned parrots, and we know that starlings can mimic, and we talked about other mimics, but... They have learned. They, they obviously show the ability to learn skills. To kind of a cognitive and to ha- thinking, yeah, problem-solving yeah, yeah. ability. Yeah. And they have the ability to remember things, unlike other, some, in cases, some mammals. I mean, they've, they've done some testing where the, the uh, ravens can, can use a tool, whatever it might be, mm-hmm. to solve a puzzle, if you will, to get food, mm-hmm. to get a reward. And they will pick up a little toothpick or something and eventually use it to tap a certain spot down a tube that will then release food. And then they bring them back, you know, weeks later, and they have a multitude of tools out. And guess what they go for? The same tool. And they solve the problem the same way. That's pretty sharp. That shows cognitive memory and problem solving skills. So I think that's what we're talking about when you're you're discussing, you know, are these the smartest birds? It's we're we're stacking birds up against birds and, 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 and kind of making our conclusions that way. That's pretty wild. And uh, yeah, I've seen a lot of different things like that over the years, but it sounds like you're talking about one that uh, very specific. Sounds like there's probably a study done on that specifically yeah, to, to prove that out. Yep. Uh, yep. Yeah, just yep. that cognitive ability to problem solve and then remember and remember the right tools or the right processes to do it the same way and get the reward of food or something at the end. That's that's pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun. You know, I think you and I got very lucky uh, years ago at one of our uh, WB Wild Birds Unlimited uh, annual conferences that we have. Uh, we had Dr. John Marsloff mm-hmm. uh, as a speaker. Oh, yeah, fantastic and, guy. Research that he's been doing for years on on crows. Yeah, yeah. And um, uh, what do you what would you call it? Just recognition. Recognition and memory. I mean, it's, it's the bottom line is that he has done different tests where like he at the school at the university he goes out into the into the plaza and they have crows there Mm -hmm. and and um they will wear a full face mask yeah Uh, very you know uh, very prominent features on the face mask that make it readily recognizable i remember it was was wasn't it broken down into like happy face masks and kind of an angry scowling face mask yeah, I think definitely the angry scowling. I remember that. That definitely that they would use that, and he they would have like a, 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 a model, a, 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 you know, like a, a made up crow, you know, carcass. It's not wasn't really a carcass, but it looked like a puppet of a crow mm-hmm. that was dead. And they'd walk around out in the in the on the campus, and the crows would all freak out and get mad. Or in some cases, they'd find a nest of a, a nesting crows, and and they they'd go up and get close to that nest, and the crows would all freak out. So they recognized that ugly face mm-hmm. as being a threat, 
and he studied how they communicated whenever that somebody walked on campus with that face mask on how the communication from crow to crow to crow to crow oh. would just spread throughout their entire community mm-hmm. uh, immediately that there was a threat and we need to, you know, either get the heck out of town or mob them or whatever it might be, you know, so, uh, definitely raise a ruckus and warn everybody. So you're telling so, me it, they were calling that, each other. That's exactly right. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I knew we couldn't get too far away from the funds. <laughs> But yeah, so very cool. I mean, it was it was uh, fascinating. I don't have you know all the details of all the things that he studied, but he has spent a lifetime mm-hmm. studying these birds. And the funny thing, or not funny, the cool thing about it is, it multi generational. Apparently, this mask is kind of famous among the the, the crow community on campus because yeah. literally years and years later, without the mask having been used, they put the mask back on and walked on campus. And went crazy, you know. They all they knew it was a threat. Oh, yeah. Years later, I, I, I mean, it's like whoa. And I think that was the thing that really blew my mind. And I mean, you're alluding to that too, of blowing your mind. That one they remembered, but how they were able to pass along from generation to generation to generation for these future generations that had not seen that mask and did not know mm-hmm. that that was supposed mm-hmm. to be a threat somehow mm-hmm. instinctively knew. That yeah. that masked person with that particular angry, scowly mask was a threat. How yeah. did they know that? I, oh that that's, that's beyond me on that <laughs> one. Like, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so, Marsloff has a lot of work to do to figure that out, figure that out I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. you better get Inquiring busy. Inquiring minds want to know, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, and actually Cornell, I went... Kevin McGowan mm-hmm. uh, at Cornell Lab of Ornithology he does a lot of crow studies too, and it's kind of the reverse in his case. The the, the crows know him mm-hmm. uh, because he's generated uh, you know a, a good relationship by leaving treats for them. Ah, uh, uh, yeah. So whenever he's out, he'll he'll drop some treats of some type, and uh, uh, so now whenever he comes outside, he says it's amazing that you know like from ten <laughs> miles away the crows start coming in and and. Uh, they all recognize him and they're wanting to see if he's got treats wow. for him. And, and so, yeah, they are, um, yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty amazing when you think about it, that they have that, that ability to recognize an individual. Yeah. And we think about that in our own birds in the backyard when we go out to the feeders. And, you know, do my birds really, you know, and again, we're caring, comparing bird to bird species. Right. So if these crows and ravens can do this, do, do, do the others. my backyard birds, do yeah. my bluebirds in the backyard, do my chickadees and titmice and nuthatches when I go out and feed every day, when I go put the bark butter on the tree every mm-hmm. day, when I got the, the bark butter bits and I put out there and, you know, I put the bark butter on the tree out and they're there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like I haven't hardly walked away and the downies and the red belly woodpeckers. Do they know me? You know, do they know if I just walk out in the backyard, here comes John with some food or not? I, I don't know that I've seen definitive or anything that, that kind of indicates that, I mean, they come a running, mm-hmm. that's for sure. But do they know me? Right. Is that more they of know? a, if you will, a Pavlov dog's response of yeah. you've conditioned yeah. them to, if you do this certain movement pattern, yeah, boom, they're going to show up. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, you know. With my bluebirds, putting out mealworms for my bluebirds, and every time I put the mealworms out, because I don't put out like 5,000 a day, I only put out a a small group, maybe 50 
blue uh, 15 yeah. mealworms a day but i'll put them out and i'll yeah. do it in the morning every morning and i'll make a little whistle tune and it's the same whistle right. tune every time yeah and they show up and is it because yeah. they hear me because if they don't see me yeah. i got a pretty wooded yard do they hear that call because it's they just get used to that and so they're like oh there's that yeah. call let's go check the feeder it's fascinating to think man how's all yeah. that work yeah yeah that's what's fascinating about the crows, though. That it's so definitive. Mm -hmm. They absolutely do know and recognize people, and there's no question about it. And, and our own backyard birds that I've got, you know, 30-year relationship with, if you will, I really don't know whether they recognize me or not. Mm -hmm. So that, that is an amazing level of intelligence for those crows and, and ravens to be able to do that. Oh, yeah. McGowan will say, you know, from 10 miles away. Is that correct? Yeah. Crows will come from like 10 miles away. They must be used, they must be tweeting one another. He's out, he's out. Come get the treats. It, to think about, man, that's a that's a really far distance. And you know, we know that, that crows, even like ravens, uh, like ravens will commute for daily foraging up to 55 miles a day. And I'm like, when I first read that, I was like, what? They'll actually commute up to 55 miles a day to get to a good food source. That's a good regular food source. I'm like, that's insane. But, mm. you know, you find a good spot. It's like finding your favorite restaurant. Man, you want to hit it on a regular basis, right? And and the communication that happens uh, for them to, hey, the food's here. Come check it out. That's that's amazing. Ravens aren't known as a backyard bird. That's for sure. Right. Uh, well, not, not most people... backyards. <laughs> right. That's right. You have to have a special backyard for that. Uh, but, you know, crows, a lot of people get crows. Some people don't like having crows mm -hmm. and, and, you know, because they are obviously uh, intimidating to the rest of the birds that might come to your feeder. They're and, much bigger and, than most of your songbirds. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Three, four or five times bigger so, than a songbird. Yeah. So, but I don't, I don't, every once in a while we hear about somebody that ends up having a lot of crow issues and things like that. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, you know, again, it's one of those things, just take the feeders down and, and not feed for a couple of days and get get off their circuit. But uh, it'd be interesting with their memory. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I, Whether that'll actually work or not. Right. <laughs> and I've seen it work every once in a while right here every once in a while. But we also, you know, if anyone's wondering, man, I do have crows. They're just they're eating me out of house and home. I want my other birds there, too. I mean, we have different kinds of feeders and solutions at the Wild Birds Unlimited stores from on-guard cages to put on different feeders mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. weight-sensitive feeders. A crow's a bigger bird if they land and close off the, the feeder ports. So, yeah, if anyone out there, you know, man, yeah, I've got, I want the crows to move on. We've got solutions for that. But otherwise, if you want to yeah. attract the crows, they'd eat pretty much anything. They are truly I omnivores. <laughs> I, was, I was waiting for where you were going because, mm -hmm. like, yeah. <laughs> that's not a problem. Nope. <laughs> they like pretty much it's, anything. I don't know if you remember this. I don't know if you remember, Brian, but you know, a couple of years back, and I, I mentioned that, that uh, uh, Marsloff had used a, a fake crow, uh, you know, a, a puppet, if mm -hmm. you will, of a crow, uh, and had taken it out and, you know, as if it was dead and, and, you know, put it upside down, you know, on his back out in the, you know, middle of campus and that he was really torturing those crows wasn't he yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah well i don't remember a couple of years ago somebody some vendor came to us and they had really realistic looking 
oh yeah, but of a crow, or you know, it looked like a mount of a, actually something right. you see like a taxidermy mount of a crow. It was all fake. It was all handmade, but it was great. And I know some of our uh, folks out there uh, tried to do the same thing with that. If mm-hmm. you had a bunch of crows coming, they'd take this thing and put it upside down on its back and feet up in the air like it was dead in the middle of their yard. And I remember that some people had pretty good success with the rest of the yeah. crows going, oh, I'm out of right. here. So, yeah, they, yeah, they do uh, an action, which actually is pretty fascinating, even in the bird world, is when, when they see another crow that's dead in an area. Now, Now, mind you, Crows are pretty, and ravens are pretty family oriented, yeah. and the young will stay with the parents, depending on the, the crow or raven, you know, for a, a couple of years or five years, and it just kind of depends year to year too. So very family oriented. They're all hanging out. They communicate about good food sources and all that. But if you see uh, crows see a dead crow or what they perceive to be a dead crow, like you're talking about, I've heard mm-hmm. that they will actually perform a funeral. Yeah, at where Mars Love. Yeah. Yep. And where they are, they're 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 cawing and they're circling in the sky, and they perform kind of this honor to the the crow that they believe passed away, and then they leave the area. And the speculation of well, if if that crow died there, some of that speculation is well, maybe it's not safe there, so let's just go ahead and move on and not come back for a while. And it's that memory thing, I would guess. Yeah, it's like they're actually in mourning. Right, like they actually are. Yeah, and I've talked with some people stuff. who have watched that happen. And it's exactly like you're talking about. It's like they're in mourning. And it mm-hmm. does make you wonder, man. Yeah. You know, and, and for me, again, both are phenomenally fascinating birds. I have to say a raven has kind of a little edge for me in the sense of the places I go when I see ravens, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's in the, you know, typically I'm in some type of, wilderness area whether it's the boundary waters or uh, you know rocky mountains or someplace like yeah. that is where i typically see the ravens and i love to watch them because they soar you know mm-hmm. they the crows don't soar the crows pretty much maintain a solid wing beat. that's a good birding tip for but you they, right there difference between yeah, yeah am i seeing a crow or am i seeing a raven yeah, yeah. crows like to flap and ravens like to yeah. soar and it's cool too. If you and really they, watch a crow, it looks like they're doing the breaststroke in the air while they're flapping. Yeah. It's kind of yeah. neat. Yeah. So you know, bottom line is you watch these. I call it dancing. If you watch mm-hmm. ravens, um, and there's a joke there somewhere about ravens and, and dancing. And, <laughs> they, <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> we've done enough jokes for one day. Uh, but you know, I really I call it dancing because you just it's like they're having fun. Yeah. I mean, it's just they they they're, they're soaring, and their vocalizations, and they actually can fly upside down for a while. Yeah. And uh, it, it somersaults is, it is, and rolls. Yeah. And they're like yeah, they, oh, yeah. just, it's like they're yeah. playing. It is. It is. It's like they're playing tag. Sometimes you'll get a group of them and they'll be chasing each other around. And I remember seeing this YouTube video of a crow using like a little plastic lid or something on a snowy roof and it'd be at the Mm. peak of the roof and it'd stand on this little, just like plastic lid and sled down the snow, down this roof as crazy. And what's even more crazy is it would then pick it up in its beak or in its feet, take that lid back to the top of the roof and do it again. And it kept doing it over and over. They loved a sled. So, so it's a snowboarding crow. Yeah. 
<laughs> Again, what more do we need to say? Unbelievable. Some of the behavior. That is so funny. I, you know, it's just a neat, neat thing. And to me, again, and that connection for me personally is it is almost always in some type of remote wilderness type setting when I, you know, I mm-hmm. relate raven sightings to, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and it just immediately takes me to the Boundary Waters or to Rocky Mountains or wherever else it might be, you know. Oh, yeah. So, it's good memories. Yeah. I mean, they like the the cooler. They can they can tolerate the colder temperatures and the higher mm-hmm. elevations better than the crows in general. Uh, yeah, I just saw a note about that. That basically they can go. The air temperature can go down to like minus four degrees, and because of they're so well insulated with their feathers and and so adapted to cold weather, yeah. their metabolism doesn't have to start increasing to generate more body heat until after minus four wow. degrees. Yeah. So if you think about that, minus four degrees, and you're just operating like you always would. Mm-hmm. You know, your metabolism's just normal as it can be, but then. Below four degrees, that's when they have to kick in the furnace yeah. and get warmed to back up a tough little bit. Tough birds. Yeah. Smart yeah. and tough. Yeah. I mean, come on, ladies. Male ravens. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> so another another favorite memory of crows, and we have, we have a little experience with that here in Indianapolis, but I years ago I went down to Terre Haute uh, to the Audubon Society, and as we were walking into the restaurant, uh, there was just this mass of crows and one of the things that's happened over the years is crows have developed winter roost oh, where yes. in, often in cities mm-hmm. and the number of crows that gather together at these roosts can be hundreds if not thousands mm-hmm. of crows at one time and this this one I, I later found out this one in Terre Haute had been there for a number of years and had just grown and grown and it really got to the point where it was causing some issues mm-hmm. because the number of birds and the amount of waste and 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 things like yeah. that that was uh, associated with their roost. But to sit there and, you know, as I said, we're going to the restaurant and you hear them and then you look over and you see this, like this, almost like a solid river of crows coming into downtown Terre Haute to roost for, you know, a winter night. Man. That was the first time I'd ever experienced that. And it was just amazing. And, and since then, you know, mm-hmm. I know we have a big crow roost downtown Indianapolis and, and I've been by that a couple of times over the years, but... Yeah. Uh, just a, again, that, that social behavior of, of banding together in the wintertime and making these communal roosts is pretty, pretty fascinating. Now, that is very fascinating. It just, it reminds me of Alfred Hitchcock. And I wonder, was that his inspiration <laughs> for his movie, The Birds? <laughs> yeah, and no. As smart as yeah. pros are, I'm glad they haven't watched the movie yet. Hey guys, uh, producer Evan here. Have to jump in on this one. Two years before that film came out, actually, apparently hordes of disoriented seabirds just dove right into the sides of a bunch of homes in the Monterey Bay area. And no explanation for this kind of bizarre event, like we talked about that murmuration in Mexico that hit the ground, just seems like a weird thing that happened. And and Hitchcock is said to have based his entire movie on just that, that freak incident. That's amazing. I had not heard that, Evan. That's that's way cool. But all I know is that truly over the years, I heard dozens of people say, I just don't like birds because that movie scared the wax out of me. It is scary. <laughs> I mean, I'm scared of the ocean because of Jaws. And I think that's because a shark showed up to Steven Spielberg's home. So that's the yeah, story behind yeah. that one. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, I, there's a positive in all of this that if it, anyone out there is freaked out by the birds, 
we've talked about the, the being nice, you know, the study that Marsloff did, not just with a scally, angry, mean face. He also did happy face masks and found out, you know, the birds responded very positively because while wearing that mask, he was very nice to the, to the crows on campus. And then like you talked about Kevin McGowan, Cornell Lab of Ornithology and giving treats to them. And it's a very positive relationship. And you can have that. There are plenty of stories where, hey, you know, crows, kind of like my girls, you know, distracted by shiny objects, you know, bring on some earrings or jewelry and they're like, ooh. <laughs> and <laughs> crows and ravens are kind of similar. They love those shiny objects. And they're story after story of people who've been nice to crows or ravens, and they'll bring gifts mm -hmm. of shiny objects that they've found to get a treat. It's kind of like a, Hey, yeah. thanks. I'm bringing you, you know, this little gift. Can you give me a treat? I mean, I've heard people's car keys getting stolen before <laughs> and they're delivered <laughs> to somebody else. I'm like shiny object. Uh, but th there's hope, you know, being nice to these birds and as intelligent as they seem to be yeah, mm -hmm. there, they'll reciprocate. So that's kind of cool. Very cool birds, and they so atypical. I think to you know the vast majority of our other birds, our other songbirds, if you will, it, it's just they they do stand out. They stand out as as being potentially one of the world's smartest birds, no doubt about it. Well, Brian, we'd be remiss if we didn't. Uh, kind of touch on a little bit i mean these these birds have been it's not just you and i <laughs> not just us historically <laughs> right man historically <laughs> these these birds have really had a place of honor in native american folklore mm -hmm. and, and a lot of different cultures revere ravens and crows and lots and lots of stories uh, oh, about yeah. all know, over the they, world culture culture spirit right yeah so it, it, we'd be remiss if we didn't say that this this is th these are very special birds, mm -hmm. and even even in today's culture, there's a little bit of a little bit of a bleed over in merry old England. Yes, ooh, the Raven Master, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, it's, it's, if you're not familiar, there are ravens uh, being kept twenty four seven in the Tower of London, mm -hmm. and you have to ask. Why? Right. <laughs> why? Why? Why would you? Why is that a thing? Why? Why do they keep? Uh, and actually, there's a dedicated person called the Raven Master, who takes care of these ravens twenty four seven, and has an armload of credentials and everything else. It's very cool. But why? Because somewhere along the line, somebody came up with the folklore with the the some, story some kind of tradition yes yeah the tradition if there are never ravens if there are no ravens if there if, there, if there's not a raven i should say in the tower of london then the british empire will collapse will fail and there will no longer be a great britain and so kind of <laughs> apparently they believe in it enough to have this this person dedicated to maintaining a flock of ravens uh, in the Tower of London 24-7. Well, and, and I love, uh, it, it's a pretty serious deal. And, oh, big and time. You, you, you talked about the an, an arm length or more of uh, qualifications for this. I, I love the initial qualification. 
Oh, it's the final quote. To, to, yeah. well, I would think it'd have to be the initial because why go through everything? Well, it may be too. It may be too. Yeah. That, yeah. Uh, part, of, part of, yeah, it's, it's extensive training just to become the Raven yeah. Master. But uh, yeah. I think the, the, the hinge pin in all of it is the Ravens have to accept you during this process. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. nope, not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. If they don't accept you, if they don't like mm-hmm. you, you're toast. <laughs> You're voted out of the club. That's right. You're on the you're on the road immediately. Now the guy that's in there now, yeah, did a five year apprenticeship with the old Raven Master. He five had twenty two year years five apprenticeship. Years. <laughs> he he did twenty some odd years in the military. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so it's it's like this is not joking around. It's a it's a very serious appointment and it's a very high honor mm-hmm. oh, to become the yeah. Raven Master. And folks, if you want to have some fun. Just go on Facebook and do a search for Raven Master. Yeah. And yes, he has his own Facebook page. And, and Twitter it's page. It's very fascinating. And- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a very fascinating story. And each of the Ravens kind of, you know, they have personalities, if you will, and all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of fun to, to look at. So lots of folklore and traditions through the years. And hey, it's still upheld in, in some cultures today. All right. Well, I think we've kind of... Uh, tested the waters on <laughs> whether this this group of birds or these two birds are some of the smartest birds in the world but yeah, uh, so we're, yeah i think we've made a i think we've made a pretty good case i right? think so so we're gonna call it a day <laughs> gotcha <laughs> you did i'm speechless <laughs> well i tell you what on behalf of wild birds unlimited i want to thank everyone for tuning in today to, to listen and learn a little bit more about hey who we think might really be the world's smartest birds. So if you enjoyed today, you know, please subscribe and leave a review. Yeah, and join us next time. We're going to move on and talk about summer bird feeding, some of the best bird feeding of the entire year. So the long tradition of some folks saying, no, I don't feed in the summertime. Big mistake. We're going to talk all about that. So until that time, Brian and I are going to continue to let nature be our guide. So please... Until next time, be safe, take care, and keep those feeders clean. Thanks for joining us, everyone. To subscribe to the podcast, for show notes, or to find the Wild Birds Unlimited store nearest you, visit wbu.com podcast. And we'd really appreciate you telling your friends about Nature Centered. Until next time, be sure to find a moment every day just to relax and enjoy the birds.